I'm not supposed to be stuck. Seized. Disconnected. Lifeless. I was made for more than this. Not to stay, but to be restored by the one who designed me. Refined and renewed as he does his work. And then to be driven by a force, alive and connected to those around me, and working for something greater, propelling each other forward in motion, living rust-free and keeping speed, to be part of something bigger as I live out my purpose. I was made for this. I was made to grow. This is a plant. Profound, I know. There's more, I promise. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Shortest sermon ever. You're dismissed. No, stay where you are. Now I have to start again. See what happens. Sorry, online. This is a plant. This plant is alive. It is nourished. It is healthy because I've committed to making sure it's got the right sunlight, uh, the right amount of water, a little bit of plant food as well. This plant, more than healthy and alive, this plant is thriving. Conversely, oh man, this plant, not so much. This plant is alive, but its condition is a bit um, opposite. It has gone without consistent water and no sunlight and no plant food. And while it is alive, it is not healthy. It is certainly not thriving. Now, this is far more than just a horticulture lesson. This is the reality of my life. So I've got an incredible wife in Shauna. She has so many awesome gifts, and she has uh, one bad habit. And that is when she is out and about shopping, she will see plants on sale and have this vision for these plants blooming, blossoming, taking over our landscape at our house. And so what does she do? Purchases those plants and brings them home. And that begins their journey. First, they end up on the kitchen counter as if to say, I bought plants today. And they live there for a couple of days until they move to either the back patio or the front porch. And they live there until they turn to this. This is my reality. So this is what I want to convey to you. I don't want your spiritual life to be like this. Now here's how we connect this. On the weekends when you're here at Cornwall Church or online, it's easy to get excited about what you hear from the platform, whether it's Pastor Bob, Pastor Kip, or myself. But then what happens? Work happens, school happens, small group, and Netflix, and chores, and meal planning, and sports, and everything in between. And none of those things are bad, but it is life happening. And despite your intention, the implementation of what you heard on the weekend at Cornwall suddenly takes a back seat. I'm sure you can recall moments where maybe you were sitting here or watching online, you took feverish notes, and then, well, things happened, and you forgot to water the plant, give it some sunlight, and so that passion faded, and your plant withered. So what do we do? Realizing this is what we want, but this is our default, what do we do about that? 
Well, there is good news. Because for the Christ follower, the soil is good. The soil is rich. And so when you hear relevant teaching from this platform, you've got to sow it. You've got to sow to grow. And not because you have to. That's legalism. Not interested in that. But because you want to. Because you know on the other side of this healthy, thriving faith that God has intended for you to experience. It's why this series is so great called Growing. Notice it's not called grow like a command. It's not called groan like you've made it, you've arrived, but instead growing, indicating this is an ongoing process. And so for the last several weeks, our pastors have been giving you the tools you need for spiritual growth. Pastor Bob began with this gear and talking about loving God and loving others in the center of the hub. Then Pastor Kip, two weekends ago, talked about the privilege of prayer, this paradigm shift that you have access to the creator of all things. You have a direct connection to Jesus anytime, anywhere. And then last week, Pastor Kip made the case for you to be here, whether here in Bellingham, here in Skagit, or part of the online community, for your benefit, but for the benefit of others as well. And others is who I want to talk about today. For both the introvert and the extrovert, we need others in our lives. All right, take a look at this picture. This is a boat, a 33-foot sailboat that had quite the adventure several years ago. When this boat and its captain experienced some trouble on the water, some severe weather, the captain had to abandon ship and leave that boat off the coast of Costa Rica when he was rescued by the Coast Guard. Seven months later, this boat would be recovered and discovered by fishermen fishing off the coast of Big Island in Hawaii. For you visual folks, that means this boat traveled on its own from Costa Rica to Hawaii about 4,700 miles. Now, the Coast Guard says you don't have to have an anchor on board your boat. It's certainly recommended. Now, similar to this boat, without an anchor point, we too can drift. It's our natural inclination to drift away, even though we don't want to. We are predisposed as lazy people. And so we need anchor points. Anchor points like a connection to prayer, a commitment to the gathering, and we need other people. We need other people to help build into our faith, to invest in our growth, to have eyes on us with our best in mind so that we don't drift away. We need others and we need community. Now you might be thinking, thanks Pastor Brian, I already have community. Well humor me for a couple of minutes because I think that our culture and our workplaces and our vocabulary, and yeah, I even say our churches, have over-communityed community and has muddied the waters a bit. Let me explain. I think that community is more than unity. Community is more than unity. Unity is standing up and alongside a cause you believe in. Unity is putting on the blue and the green, showing up at Lumen Field to cheer on the hawks. Unity is a shared belief, a commonality among a group of people, but unity is not community. I think community is far more than fellowship. 
Fellowship is what you did before the service and what you'll do after the service in the commons and in the online lobby. Fellowship is gathering with friends and neighbors for a backyard barbecue. And if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you probably remember that part of the building where you would have like the men's breakfast and, and uh, potlucks. They call it the fellowship hall. But see, fellowship is also not community. While critically important, community is more than a shared life stage. Ask a mom of a preschooler, and she'll tell you connecting with other moms of preschoolers is vital to her survival. Ask a, a parent of a preteen, and they will tell you connecting with another parent of a preteen will help normalize parenting preteens. And ask someone who has lost a loved one about connecting with someone else who's recently lost a loved one. They would say it's therapeutic. It is beneficial, but it is not community. One more. Community is more than your neighborhood. Community, then, is more than your zip code, your cul-de-sac, that neighbor you borrow a cup of flour from. It's bigger than the neighborhood uh, block party on that holiday weekend or the garage sale that happens and everyone's in their driveway or waving at a neighbor as you go get the mail. In fact, consider this. It is possible to live in your neighborhood without living in community. You can live in your neighborhood and not live in community. So to review, unity formed around a cause, fellowship formed around an event and time, life stage formed around a circumstance, and neighborhood formed around a location. So where does that leave the church? The Christian community that Jesus calls us to is simply this, sharing life together in Christ. This kind of community is perpetual, it is ongoing, not locked into a location. It grows through circumstance, and it's not boxed into timing. This kind of community is Christ-centered. And the secret to this kind of community is right here in the center. Life together. Every day, you are doing life. You are running the race as best you can. You're enduring the good and the bad and the ups and the downs, and Jesus' simple encouragement is, do that, live your life with others. He'll give us the why in just a bit. But first, remember how I, I called us out a, a couple of moments ago as being lazy? The truth is, we're also very surface and very self-centered. And, and not always, but to drift to that is very easy for us. Take a look at this. This is how we default. Even the best person you know, self-interested, self-preservation, superficiality. It's all about me. It's all about keeping myself afloat and looking good while I do it. You know, if this looks ugly or feels familiar, you aren't alone. Sin really messed things up for us because our sinful, selfish nature, this is how we operate. So we have to fight for a Christ-centered community. And so what does that look like? Instead of uh, operating out of a selfish self-interest, it means we have an interest of others. Instead of exclusively worrying about what's happening with us, it means we burden share. We share the burden of others. And, and finally, about, instead of worrying about what, how we look on Facebook or Instagram, we, we dive into authenticity. 
Paul had something to say about this to different churches that he'd write. To Philippians, to the Philippians, he'd say, do nothing out of selfish ambition. In humility, value others and think of others before yourself. To the Galatian church, he would say, bear one another's burdens. Lighten the load of those around you. I get this is easier preached than practiced, mostly because this middle column will cost you something. Because to really be interested in others, it means it will cost you intentionality. To really share the burden of other people, it will cost you your time. And to truly be authentic with others, it will cost you your transparency. And maybe that last column seems a little bit outside your comfort zone. That is okay. Because the incredible news is that when we operate in Christian community, the benefits outweigh the risk. The benefit outweighs the risk. I've shared with you before from this platform that I've skydived a couple times. And in that moment, because I am deathly afraid of heights and small planes, as that door opens, I did a quick benefit-risk analysis. The risk, pretty high, but the benefit, man, so great. The adrenaline rush, the, the view, the actual jump, it was, it's incredible. And this idea of benefit-risk analysis isn't new. I mean, think back to the first calling of the first disciples. Peter, Andrew, James, and John minding their business, catching fish one day, and Jesus walks up and says, hey guys, drop your net, follow me. In a moment, they had to do a risk-benefit analysis. Plenty of risks, right? I mean, chief among them, this is their livelihood. This is what they do. But next to that, judgment, uh, persecution. But when faced with the risk, what do they do? We know they would go on, take the chance, and they would quickly discover the benefit outweighed the risk. The same is true when it comes to you making a commitment to invest in Christian community. And while this may seem daunting at first, know that it's God's plan for you, and it will prove over and over again to be worth it, all for his glory and your benefit. In 1945, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was tragically killed with thousands of others in a Nazi concentration camp. He was 39. Before he died, he would pen the book called Life Together. Now, if you find this book, it's an unimpressive, thin book, but it packs a punch. And to this day, it remains the gold standard on what life together in the body of Christ looks like scripturally and practically. Check out what he wrote. He said this, if a Christian is in community with others, they will never be alone again anywhere. In other words, Bonhoeffer is saying a commitment to be part of a larger community among believers creates an instant invisible bond. And even for the most introverted of introverts, this has value. Because deep down, everyone wants to be known. Everyone wants to know someone has their back. No one really, really wants to be alone. Everybody wants someone to stand in the gap for them. Bonhoeffer also was quite blunt. He would say this in his book, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. Now, I have this underlined and highlighted in my copy 
because he is describing two very different people. The one who loves the idea of community and the one who straight up loves community. The one who loves the idea and the one who loves the intention. The first person, the person who loves the dream of community, this person is focused on results and will work overtime for get-to-know-you activities and icebreakers within the small group and, and potlucks and making sure everyone's talking and sharing a prayer request and everyone's there every week and so on. And this is good, but it doesn't have real longevity or authentic depth. It's all about the end result. This person sees community as a noun, something to arrive to. Conversely, the person who loves those around them will create community. This person sees community as a verb, as an intentional action. This person understands community will be formed naturally because we care for one another and as a result of us sharing one another's burdens, living life together. In other words, Bonhoeffer is saying here, community is not something you do, it's how you live. Not what you do, it's how you live. So where do we go from here? If all of that is the what, then what is the why? Check out this list. You have probably seen a group name on this list at some point in your church career. A life group, a cell group, a growth group, a journey group, a small groups, connection, missional, and home groups, all different names of the same idea. People coming together, oftentimes in someone's living room, for an intentional purpose. For the longest time here at Cornwall Church, we were all about small groups. We'd encourage you to be part of a small group. We'd have small group connection events. But recently, we made the change from small groups to community groups. We did that to align a purpose and a mission. And I asked Pastor Randy why. He said there's two driving reasons for the change. To form community and to serve community. To form and serve community. So our community groups here at Cornwall are to form and nurture community, a place to be known and to know others and to encourage others on their walk their faith journey, and for them to encourage you. Paul would write to another New Testament church in, in Thessalonica, and he'd say to the Thessalonians this in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. Paul makes a big, big assumption here that these Christ followers, they're doing this. They're gathering together. They're building each other up. They're encouraging one another. And, and he says one another. He says each other. Paul understood that our faith journey is not a solo trek. This is not a one-man adventure. We are not created to be single travelers. I mean, take this all the way back to Genesis. God knew Adam was not going to go at it alone. He needed a partner. And so he created Eve. Paul, on his missionary journeys, he would take... Barnabas and Luke and Timothy, among others, as travel companions. Or how about Jesus? Jesus could have gone solo, and no one would have thought different about it. The miracles, the teachings, the interactions. He could have accomplished ministry on his own. Instead, what do we see him do? He surrounds himself with community. 
Jesus himself examples to us that a faith journey is not a solo sport. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, again in his book, would say this, you are called into the community of faith. That call was not meant for you alone. Community groups are there to build each other up, but additionally, to serve. We are not called to be all about ourselves, to be inward focused, again, fighting that predisposition, but instead to encourage one another to live out Jesus's purpose in the community in which you are part of, both in your group and outside your group. Last week, Pastor Kip highlighted uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and so on. And the version he read, and maybe in many of your Bibles, this word is actually spur. And last weekend, as Pastor Kip does, he geeked out and greeked out on the word spur. Well, Pastor Kip knows Greek. I know something about horses. That is not a joke. It's not a joke. I've been horseback riding like three times. So, in fact, one time my family uh, was visiting Yellowstone National Park on a summer vacation. And one of the adventures my mom booked for us was a horseback trail ride with a big chuck wagon barbecue at the end. You had to ride to get there. And so I remember arriving at the ranch and all, everyone getting uh, paired up with their horse and saddled up and the gates open and we go trotting off. And this Asian cowboy put the giddy and giddy up and we were off and it was great and it was fun. And I mean, we were all having just a wonderful time in the wild west until my horse decided mid-trail to stop. Like for no real reason, I kept thinking like, okay, maybe he wants a break or a drink, but no, just stopped. And so as I'm waiting there at this impromptu rest stop, my mom and dad on their horses, they go trotting by, Brian, are you good? Yeah, mom, I'm good, I'll see you at the barbecue. And, uh, and then more people from our group keep, you know, kind of around me, like, hey, are you okay? I'm like, I'm okay. And so then I realize, I turn back, I'm the only one left in our trail group, with the exception of the guide who is now trotting up to me. And in a cowboy-like way, he says, oh, your horse has stopped. I'm like, yes, thank you. Thank you very much, yes. And I remember what he said to me. He had four words for me. He said, just spur him on. Just spur him on. So I tried, and I tried again, but nothing. And the guy was getting a little more irritated, and so this time he said, spur him on, and he'll move. So I resolved, with all the power in my short little legs, I would give this horse a serious spurring, and so I did, and we were off down the trail. And we're trotting, and everything's going great, until I realized my point of view is changing. Because as we're trotting, I realize I am now rotating around the horse. My saddle has loosened, and now I am trotting on the trail like this. I made it, thanks for your care. I tell you this story, one, to solidify myself as a cowboy, obviously, but two, to tell you it was that day in that summer that I learned the true value and meaning of the word spur. You see, if you don't spur a horse, it's not moving. But if you do, be ready to go, be ready to move. So when I read this encouragement 
to spur one another on. As I read that in the context of a community group, Paul is calling action. He's saying, get ready. Because if you're going to spur each other on, get ready for action. Get ready to be motivated, encouraged by those in your community. They're going to do it in love for the purpose of spiritual growth and kingdom gain. Now, what does it look like practically to be in community and for one another? Perhaps this is what it looks like. This is a picture of two-year-old Samantha Savitz. She's from Newton, Massachusetts, and maybe you saw this story on the nightly news several months ago. This is Samantha, and this is Samantha's neighbors. So when Samantha moved to the neighborhood with her parents, she was a very excitable, interactive two-year-old little girl. But there was a problem. As she wanted to interact with her mostly elderly neighbors, they couldn't interact back. Samantha is deaf. And so while she tried, tried her best, her neighbors trying their best, there just really was no point of connection. And so her neighbors, in the interest of thinking of others, putting others first, did something about it. They hired an instructor, and they all learned sign language. Every single neighbor showed up every single week to learn sign language for this little girl. And it cost them something, right? Cost them their time, cost them their investment, cost them for the price of the instructor. But it spoke volumes to their authenticity, to their intentionality, and their care as they built into this community. There's one more picture of Samantha here on the floor at one of their sign language classes. Samantha's parents maybe said it best. It is evident we have a community of people invested in us, for us, and with us, willing to learn how to communicate with our daughter on her terms, not theirs. That is the community God has created. Life together for one another in the context of Christ, no matter what. And when we embrace this idea of growing in community and we realize that Jesus valued community and he calls us to it and we understand that community is designed by God for your good and we take that step of faith to jump into community, we discover this amazing result. It's this. The practice of Christian community brings the gospel to life. The practice of Christian community brings the gospel to life. How cool is that? The fact that you being plugged into a small group, a life group, a cell group, a connection group, a community group, in some way reflects the gospel. And have no doubt, it does. People are watching, and people are weighing faith based on what they see. Francis Schaeffer said this, Our relationship with one another is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message, the gospel, is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. What he's saying is, more than what you say, and way more than what you post, people are watching how you act or interact. Now, don't throw stones, but I would offer your grandmother's small group Bible study is not what people need today in small groups. In our fast-paced, over-scheduled, over-committed lives, if someone is actually going to do a hard stop 
and commit to a weekly gathering, it needs to be safe, real, relevant, applicable, and life-giving. We are busy people. We've got places to be. Our kids are busier than ever. Then you add the pandemic and sports and masks and commitments and small group and church and everything else on top of it, and you want me to give 90 minutes to be in your living room every Tuesday night? Man, it better be safe, real, relevant, applicable, and life-giving. Back in September of 2019, Shauna and I launched another community group at Cornwall Skagit. And the five couples that sat in our living room, I was so excited because each couple had been specifically placed on my or Shauna's heart to invite to this group. And so on that first night, I realized that these couples, most of them had never been in a small group setting before. Expectation and anxiety was a little high. But on that first night, as I sat in front of our fireplace and looked at these couples, I said, just so you know, you're not committing to a weekly Bible study. You are committing to a group that will weekly connect Jesus to real life while intentionally sharing life together. And guess what? They came back the next week and the next week and the next. Now, as expected, things were a little mechanical at first, but we kept to the mission, sharing life together in Christ. And week after week, we built on those relationships. We listened to each other's stories. One person would share transparently, opening the door for another and another. Everyone had a place at the table. And without waving the banner of, we've got community, looks like Bonhoeffer was right. We simply loved those around us, and the product, the result, was community. And over the last 21 months, we have journeyed through a lot as a community group. A birth and a death, surgeries and sickness, addiction and moving, business buying and selling, parenting. We have Zoomed. We've met in person in masks. We've met outside without masks. We've shared meals together. We've dropped meals on porches. We've served together. We've spent some Monday nights talking about the sermon and some Monday nights throwing the questions out the window just to catch up on life. We've abandoned the perception of perfection so that we could be real. And we've laughed a lot. We've cried a lot too. And without ever mandating it and saying you've got to be here every Monday from 6 to 7.30, the culture has become, you don't want to miss Monday night, 6 to 7.30. In fact, one of our couples, it's great, they, they put their vacation, they arrange vacation or time out of town around Monday nights. They're going to California here in a couple of weeks. They leave on a Tuesday morning so they can be there Monday night. We have a culture that says you got to be here. You want to be here. One of our members, uh, Kaylee, an incredible super mom, uh, her husband is a farmer, and so she and her two boys are home during the day. And on one particular Monday night a couple of weeks ago, Kaylee, who adds so much value to our group, was particularly quiet. Didn't have a lot to say. And so I, at some point in the night, said, Kaylee, are you good? And she said, quite honestly, I actually almost texted the group and said, I'm not coming tonight. And we all kind of gasped, like, what? What is going on? We would learn later this. She said, after an exhausting day of parenting, staying home would have been the easy choice. 
but coming to community group and meeting with the group of people who know me, love me, support me, and help take the load off of me at the end of the rough day was just what I needed. Community group is so much more than meeting and answering discussion questions. It is living life together, whatever we're going through. And for us, the center of it all, it is Jesus. It's none of us. It's nothing we're doing. Jesus is the hub. It's why we're coming together. He makes the difference. So it brings us to our challenge. This is the challenge, to commit to sharing life together in Christ. Commit to sharing life together in Christ, however that looks for you. It is awesome that you are here in the building and in the building in Skagit and joining us online. But I read an email this week that caused me to pause. It said, the greatest preacher of our time did not depend just on preaching for disciple-making and spiritual depth. Sermons have never been the greatest motivation for personal growth. Relationships are. Jesus got this. I mean, to a crowd you talk to, to a group you talk with. So let me give you some really practical ways you can make the jump into the pool. Number one is jump to the deep end. Go big, dive in, and join a community group. And maybe you've thought about this in the past, and for whatever reason you talked yourself out, or you've been part of one in the past and it didn't work out for whatever reason, I would say try again. And be assured that God has got the perfect group for you that will fit your life. And you will add value to the group and they to you. So community group, 12-ish people. Now, if 12 seems like a crowd, how about four? We call it a quad around here. Not original, I know. But a quad of four people coming together, committed to one another in a smaller setting, learning how to replicate relational di discipleship that Jesus modeled. And so in your quad of you plus three, life is shared, prayer requests are shared, your faith grows, and ultimately, you, the disciple, will become a disciple maker. And motivated by multiplication, another quad is formed, and another quad is formed. I mean, imagine if Jesus and his original quad of Peter, James, and John, after they wrapped up, he was like, that was cool. Don't ever do that again. Quads are all about replication. Quads are a place in a smaller setting to know God deeper and to know others as well. Pastor Jeff, our executive pastor, is part of a quad. You might be surprised, though, if you looked at the roster of his quad. It's Pastor Jeff and three high schoolers. So I, I asked Pastor Jeff, what's that all about? And here's what he shared. He said, I was approached last July by Mason Kaiser to go deeper with a couple of his friends. He said that he loved Encounter, our high school ministry, but wanted to go deeper in the Bible and his own faith. He wanted to have a true, authentic relationship that could bond others together and be encouraging to one another in their pursuit of Jesus. He had it all mapped out what they would read and, and what they would do for the 90 minutes and who he would invite. Pastor Jeff said, it is amazing. I'm so grateful for his heart and vision and leadership. I am astonished and inspired by a 15-year-old. An awesome reminder that community can be built in any size group at any age. 
So you've got 12-ish, you've got a quad of four, or how about just one-on-one? -on -one? Start small. I think there's this misnomer that when you hear community groups, community, it's multiple people, but perhaps your spiritual growth begins just you and one other person, one-on-one. -on -one. Now, admittedly, this could be the most challenging because it requires vulnerability, having to ask someone else if they'd be open to meeting. But let me give you some advice from the president of the Fear of Rejection Club. Just ask them. Because likely, if God's placed them on your heart, then he's probably been working on theirs as well. And when you find that one-on-one -on -one connection and you meet at a coffee shop or at a park or for a walk, whatever it is, and you start building into each other and sharing life, once a week won't come soon enough. Every single week, I have the amazing privilege of meeting with four different high schoolers in Skagit. My Monday with Cohen, my Tuesday with Blake, my Thursday with Keller, and my Friday with Josiah. Four different students, four different stories, Every, different con every conversation is different, but there is one commonality. There's no agenda. We show up. I listen. We share life together. There's no pressure to have the right answer or the Bible answer. Don't think of this one-on-one -on -one connection being the lowest common denominator or the lowest option, because for you, it might just be the perfect option. Twelve four, one. Pick one of the three. Because remember these plants? One of these is healthy and thriving, and one is not. One plant you want to be, and one you do not. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you're too busy, or you live too far away, or you get off work too late. Don't leave this service convicted that you're meant to grow in community P.S. you are, but forget to take action tomorrow or the next day, because before you know it, it'll be next weekend, and Pastor Kip will be talking about something else. So if you are not part of a community group, if you are not yet flourishing, I've got an action step for you, and it's easy, and it involves your phone. Go ahead and take a, a picture of this or just text it right now. Text join community, one word, join community, to 94000. This is for those in the building and on, online and in Skagit. Texting join community to 94000 will send us a text. And our small groups team will call you, email you, connect with you this week. We will find a place for you to grow in community, whether that's in person or virtual, whether that's a 12, a 4, or a one-on-one. -on -one. This is far more than a box to check in your Christian walk. This is more than just a cool challenge. This is how you're meant to live in your faith, sharing life together in Christ. Okay, one more verse. It goes like this. First John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And this verse boils down to six words. We walk, he is, we have. If we walk, when we walk into community and a community group, 
And he is, Jesus is there, and firmly at the center, he's the hub of it all, then we will have community. It's a guarantee. You will flourish and grow. What an amazing assurance of what we can expect when we take that chance, that leap of faith, to be part of a greater community. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said one more thing. It's not the experience of Christian community, but instead firm and certain faith within Christian community that holds us together. Cornwall, I am passionate about this because I know firsthand the growth that is found in the context of, in the safety of, in the adventure of a community group. And if not already, I want that for you. I want that for you. I need the people in my community group. I want to know them more, and I believe they want to know me more too. Brian, the guy, not Brian, the pastor. Brian, the guy who's running the race with them. My journey of faith is made better because of Stephen and Bridget and Jesse and Kaylee and Brett and Ingrid and Shauna and Zach and Maddie. I need those people in my corner. And it's my prayer that in your desire to grow in your faith, that you too will plant roots in a community group, 12-4 or 1, as you choose to share life together in Christ.